lots and lots of Republicans voted for me in the Senate to substitute its judgment for the people in picking a president. They are ready for someone to take the reins. We need more engagement in this public discourse and not less. Just listen. I think that's what I need to do is just really listen. What's up, Tennessee? You are listening to TriStar Talk. I'm Jeff Patterson. Uh, Go ahead and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet, go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Twitter as well, at TriStar Talk. I hope you all had a happy Easter, and I hope you're all safe and didn't suffer any any damage or any any harm from the storms that raged across the state last night. I know there have been a number of reported injuries in Tennessee and more across the southeast, though the families of those who are suffering right now, they're in my thoughts, and we're here to do whatever we can to help. If anyone has any information on where supplies can be donated, on how to support local communities during this time, please let us know. We want to do whatever we can to help. I don't know how everyone is spending their time while quarantined, but if you have any show recommendations or other podcast recommendations, just let us know. I finished Ozark Season 3 last night. I could say a lot, but I won't. If you haven't watched Ozark, go ahead and binge that while you have the time. I've been reading this one book over the course of the quarantine. It's pretty good. I haven't finished it, but I am going to recommend it. It's called While We're Polarized. It's by Ezra Klein. Uh, And there was this one part from the book that I read earlier that I thought was really informative and worth sharing. So I'm going to read a portion of that for you. He's discussing political parties. And he said, in theory, we join parties because they share our values and our goals. Values and goals that may have been passed on to us by the most important groups in our lives, such as our families and our communities. And we trust that their policy judgments will match the ones we would come up with if we had unlimited time to study the issues. But parties, though based on a set of principles, aren't disinterested teachers in search of truth. They're organized groups looking to increase their power. Or, as the psychologists would put it, their reasoning may be motivated by something other than accuracy. I think that's something really, really important to remember as we discuss these issues and as we continue to face challenges as a state and as a country that we need to put reason and facts above political allegiances and we have to be we have to hold our political leaders accountable we have to understand that they may not have the best intentions and we need to call them on that but anyway that's what i'm reading right now if you have anything you'd recommend please let us know take this time to follow your passions create something you may not have another chance like this where you have a lot of time and nothing to do uh, if you have that freedom, but also use this time to make sure others are being taken care of and taking an interest in the suffering of your neighbors. Communities coming together will be what ultimately heals our state. And I'm thankful that I live in Nashville because the community's response has been incredible. There are leaders, however, in, in other parts of the state where the action they recommend and the policies they are pushing are hurting their community, and we do have to do something to fix that. For your coronavirus update, health authorities have confirmed 5,308 coronavirus cases across Tennessee and 101 deaths. The Tennessee Department of Health has also confirmed 567 hospitalizations and 1,504 recoveries here in the TriStar State. It's great that they're recovering. Nearly 70,600 people have been tested for the coronavirus in Tennessee, but we must continue testing. We must listen to our health experts. We need to have as much information as possible if we're going to respond in the best possible way. Rural or standalone hospitals that have been on the brink of closure are in immediate trouble due to the virus. In Tennessee, at least 20 counties have no functioning hospital, and the state has the highest per capita rate of rural hospital closures in the entire United States. In prisons, I see that the virus has made its way. There were 19 positive COVID-19 cases. 
with a number of correction facility workers testing positive as well as inmates. There's not been a massive push here to protect inmates who are extremely vulnerable. I've seen some cases in certain districts where judges are releasing some inmates who do not pose a high threat, but who are extremely vulnerable while in prison and in other areas where judges are absolutely not even considering any measures like that. But I have a strong feeling what we will see is little will be done and there will be a surge of the virus in these facilities and it will be underreported or covered up so that we don't see how the virus is continuing to spread. And I think it's because a lot of people just don't care if inmates get sick, no matter what it is that they've done anyway. I, I'm, I really don't want to speculate too much here. That's just, I have a strong feeling that that's going to happen but we'll continue to follow this. But COVID-19 has done a lot to show us what happens when we neglect to prepare and invest in institutions that can help people, especially during crises like these. In statements from Senator Brenda Gilmore, we get to uncover how COVID-19 has been especially harmful to, to people of color. She says, people of color, specifically black Americans, are getting infected and dying at disproportionately higher rates than white people. And this is something that's happening all over the country. There's also data that suggests that African-American patients tend to see provider bias, where their pain is being underrated or their complaints are just more likely to be ignored. But in Louisiana, 70% of people who have died from COVID-19 are African-Americans though African-Americans only make up one-third of the population of Louisiana. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, twice as many black residents have tested positive compared to white residents, while comprising only 27% of the population. And in Chicago, African-Americans account for 72% of the coronavirus-related deaths in the city, and yet make up only 29% of the population. And the numbers for Tennessee aren't even readily available at this time. Senator Gilmore says these disparities are part of her experience and that disadvantages like generational poverty, underfunded schools, food deserts, unaffordable housing, and inaccessible health care are huge factors in this disparity that we see. What can we do about this right now? Well, Senator Gilmore says scaling up testing and tracking is key. While we must continue educating communities of color about the importance of basic prevention, like social distancing and hand washing, there must also be a considerable effort mounted to test, track, and contain the spread of the virus. She stresses that we must make affordable, quality health coverage available to hundreds of thousands of black, brown, and white Tennesseans by expanding Medicaid, saying every Tennessean should be able to take their kid or themselves to the doctor when they get sick, but affordability is a major obstacle. Our state is less prepared for this crisis today because the majority party in the legislature has for a decade refused to accept federal dollars that would extend health coverage to working Tennesseans through TennCare, which is the state's Medicaid program. She says in states that have not expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, African Americans and other people of color are most likely to fall within a coverage gap, meaning they earn too much to qualify for traditional Medicaid, yet not enough to be eligible for premium tax credits available in the healthcare.gov marketplace. U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams said, The chronic burden of medical ills is likely to make people of color especially less resilient to the ravages of COVID-19. And it is possibly, in fact, likely that the burden of social ills is likely contributing. Uh, Adams said this during a Friday news briefing and warned African-Americans to stop drinking, smoking, or doing drugs and to step up. And it's good to point out here that African-Americans and white Americans use drugs at similar rates, but the imprisonment rate of African-Americans for drug charges is almost six times that of whites. James Hildreth, the president of Meharry Medical College, corrected the Surgeon General, saying, 
All Americans should step up, except many African Americans live in food deserts, live in communities without sidewalks or parks, do not have access to health care, which makes it hard to step up. One thing that I think is especially important during these times is fighting coronavirus misinformation. Who does coronavirus affect? It affects everyone, people of all ages. So what do the numbers look like in Tennessee? Most of the cases are people 21 to 30, with 1,112 cases. Age range 31 to 40, we see 851 cases, 51 to 60, 986, 61 to 70, 665, 71 to 80, 328 cases, 81 and up, we see 178 cases. I saw a poll saying that 69% of Americans endorse a nationwide lockdown through the end of April. And it's not surprising. People are extremely concerned and the numbers are still too high. Huge numbers of Tennesseans are looking to the government for help. Businesses are looking for ways to get assistance so they don't have to lay off workers. We brought up in another episode that uh, Vanderbilt University was releasing a study to determine the effects of the coronavirus in Tennessee and how we should move forward. This is a study that was released following the Washington University report that we had previously been relying on for data. Governor Lee's administration plans to rely, I think, on both surveys now. I think originally they had said they were waiting for Vanderbilt. They were going to rely on that. Now they're using a combination of the studies to affect their decisions moving forward. But in that report, we found that if the Tennessee outbreak continues to spread at its current rate, the virus will not peak until June and more than 5,000 people will be hospitalized at once. This will stretch hospitals to the brink. They also came up with three other scenarios. If there is continued reduction, the first wave of the peak will be early to mid-May with two to 3,000 hospitalizations. If we maintain the status quo, we will peak in June and hospitals will be stressed. If social distancing is lifted, hospitals will be stressed in mid-May. So worst case, the worst case scenario is officials begin lifting social distancing too soon, leading to a sudden increase of infections. Under this scenario, researchers say 13% of Tennesseans could get infected and 50,000 could be hospitalized. Currently, An infected Tennessean is believed to spread the virus to 1.4 other people, with experts telling us that that statistic needs to be reduced below one for a sustained period of time to control the epidemic. Vandy says that the best case for Tennessee would be to continue to make gains toward lowering the transmission rate through April and May. The outbreak would peak in the first half of May and between two and 3,000 people would be hospitalized at once. Hospitals should be able to handle that scenario with their existing capacity. Nashville Mayor John Cooper said, one thing to keep in mind is that we cannot let up our efforts after the day that we peak. The peak is not the end. Researchers added that the Tennessee outbreak could have been sparked by as few as 10 people They say the true number of COVID-19 cases is substantially higher than the state's reporting because some of those infected show no symptoms and others have not yet been tested or received a test result. But we are facing huge opposition from the majority party in this state, very notably from Jeremy Faison and Representative Jason Zachary. Jason Zachary is the representative of House District 14. He tweeted out, this is big news. There are only 28 active cases in Knox County out of 470,000 people. The time has come for us to open up commerce cautiously and in stages, but we must open the economy. What he left out was the fact that Knox County has only tested 3,410 people 
That's not even 1% of the population, yet he's claiming all is well and it's time to start opening up and that we need to move the economy now. But that is definitely not what the experts are saying. We need more testing so we know what we're dealing with. And this is the toughest part to get through right now. Everyone's on edge. We've been stuck at home for a month. We can't enjoy public places that we used to enjoy. A lot of people can't go to work. They can't do the things that were part of their routine. And of course, plenty of people just need to make money right now. So what do we know about the economy and how it's affected? Should we begin pushing to open things up right now when we are still seeing cases appear? Tennessee saw an additional 200 positive cases over the weekend. Economist Heather Boucher said, the best way to avoid a deep recession is to resist the urge to reopen business and extend social distancing mandates until the pandemic subsides. We can't take shortcuts, says the CEO of the Washington Center for Equitable Growth and the former economist for the Joint Economic Committee of the U.S. Congress. As long as people can still get sick in places of business or in their workplace, and so long as our health system is being overtaxed because there are just too many cases, we're not going to be able to get the economy functioning back the way we'd like to. It simply won't be possible. Tennessee Small Business Alliance Director Linda Sherrill and Franklin Area Pulmonary Specialist Aaron Millstone joined The Economist Friday during a conference to oppose those who were demanding a rapid reopening of the economy. Reopening the businesses too quickly could lead to the additional outbreak hotspots, likely in places of business. Harvard epidemiologist Mark Lipstitch said Wednesday that the United States may see a second wave of COVID-19 cases when social distancing measures are relaxed, especially if they are lifted prematurely. Businesses that have laid off employees and that have closed due to COVID-19 are also in a really difficult position of wanting to open, wanting to hire people. That would require investing more capital upfront to hire more people to get to get the business working again. They might have to order more inventory. They might have to have employees come in for more time because there's more work to be done. I think businesses should continue to stay closed until the pandemic subsides, until it gets to a manageable level that we should wait for the health experts and to listen to what the doctor orders. Um, experts are also saying that the $349 billion ad- allocated by the federal government for loan funding to help small businesses continue paying their workers won't be enough. So Congress needs to step up to get another package to help our small businesses and individuals who are laid off and need assistance. Government should work to make workers whole so that workers continue to get steady income as we fight this crisis. And we should increase funding for small businesses, prioritizing those who truly need it the most. So this is not the end of this, but we need to come together as a state and make sure that we are informed and that we are helping those who are most in need. Election news. Bill Haggerty published an op-ed and tweeted it out saying, make no mistake, the efforts of the Chinese communist leadership to conceal and destroy evidence, even silencing their own people, is the crime of the century and the greatest cover-up in human history. And I did read his op-ed. There was some information, a lot of riffing, a lot of praise for President Trump and how proud he is that President Trump is endorsing him. But, but there wasn't a lot of content in there on how we should handle the crisis here right now. I, I understand, given the information that I've seen, the desire from a lot of people to hold China accountable because they did lie. They concealed numbers. They left the global community completely in the dark about this. And it has gone on to affect a lot of Americans. But 
there's only so much that can be done by just blaming China right now. There are people that are that are suffering. That's the immediate concern I see. I think we should focus more on making sure that people are getting tested here and getting the treatment that they need. And once we have that under control, once that's managed, then maybe we can start discussing what the global community should do about China and handling the way that they the way they concealed this crisis from a lot of people. John DeBerry may challenge the Democratic Party's decision to remove him from the ballot. We will see if he follows through there. Uh, if this is your first time listening, we've discussed John DeBerry. He is a Memphis state representative. He has served the state house for 26 years, and the Democratic Party recently removed him from the primary ballot in a in a in a vote from Democratic Party leaders. They were ultimately concerned with his voting record in the past and didn't think it would be in the interest of voters to see a D by his name when he had voted certain ways on issues like abortion and and voucher programs. Justin Jones is challenging his exclusion from the ballot. He is a candidate in Tennessee's 5th Congressional District. He was running to be the Democratic nominee to unseat incumbent Jim Cooper. But he failed to get the required 25 signatures prior to the filing deadline for his name to appear on the Democratic ballot. He did not get those signatures. Again, I have no idea why. I was searching all weekend, trying to find a little more information. I haven't heard really much from his campaign on this. Uh, it's disappointing. I don't I don't know what they, they think is going to happen there. U.S. Senate candidate Byron Bush was among five candidates running to succeed. Republican Senator Lamar Alexander this year, who were deemed not to be bona fide Republicans. So he was deemed ineligible to run as a Republican because he hadn't voted in three of the last four primaries. So it just makes it all the more ridiculous to me that this GOP outrage over removing DeBerry. DeBerry was removed from the Democratic Party for fundamentally opposing some pretty signature parts of the party platform. And Bush was removed from the Republican primary because he hadn't voted for enough Republicans. What do you guys think about that? I would like to know. So if you haven't yet, go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TriStar Talk. Let us know what you think. If you haven't heard, we are now available on Apple Podcasts. So subscribe to our podcast there and on Spotify if you haven't yet. That's it for the show today. I'm Jeff Patterson. Thanks for listening.